Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I am very excited. I have all the way from Miami, Monica Hill from Telemundo. She is the CMO and I'm sure I just butchered all parts of that. So Monica, hi, welcome to the show. And tell us, how do we say your name and how do we say Telemundo the right way? Hi, Nadine. You did great. It is Monica Hill and I am with Telemundo. So I'm super excited to be here with you today. Oh my gosh. This is, I just love your accent. I, I, I want, I, I'm going to just try to emulate you for the rest of the day. This is so inspiring. Now, you'll be speaking Spanish by the end of this. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, I'll take that on. That'll be great. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm really, really excited because I am interested in learning so much more about your role because it's not just that you are the chief marketing officer, but in your role, you have both marketing and human resources. Is that correct? That's right. My role is a little bit unique. I think a little bit non-traditional than what the CMO roles have been, but you know, the world has changed and our business is changing quite a bit. So you should look at my role into three parts. One, I have everything that's marketing, corporate marketing. Um, and then we also have everything that's corporate communications because a lot of them are meshing together a lot more. And additionally, we added the component of human resources into my role because if you really look at your brand and as companies try to build their brand, so much of culture starts within. So we thought building an internal culture with our employees, with our organization, with a good tie-in to also building our external brand. Wow. Okay. So that's fabulous. You know, we talk a lot about culture on CMO Moves and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we've said the phrase, and this comes from a, a culture expert named Stan Slap. If you can't sell it inside, you can't sell it outside. Um, right. All right. And, and so like, how, how, how did that go? I mean, did you always have all those things underneath you or was this a move in response to something or how long have you been doing this and how's it working out? You know, I've been marketing my entire life, and I think even early on in my careers, even when I was in politics, a lot of it was how do you market your candidate, how do you market uh, your idea or your initiative. So for me, marketing has always been my bread and butter, 
But when I came into Telemundo, it was a very unique moment in the company's history because we were beginning to do something that had never happened in Spanish language television, which was really beginning to redefine what a Spanish language television was and is now. So in that moment, Telemundo knew that we had to do things differently. We had to change the traditional formats for anything that had traditionally taken place in Spanish language TV. So in the conversation, it really just came about that we thought, listen, we have a brand new building in Miami. We have um, an amazing parent company in Comcast and sister company in NBC. So we knew that we needed to do something that was going to change the organization in ways that it had never seen before. So really the role kind of evolved on its own and I had always worked on building great relationships and solving people's problems. So it was a natural fit for, for me and for the organization. And I'm loving it, quite frankly. I think learning the HR piece has been very beneficial to, to, to building our brand. Yeah, well, and, and what are some of the things that you've been able to do because now you have this unique role? You know, I think the biggest thing that we were able to really do maybe about three or four years ago, we knew that we had to start thinking about Hispanics differently. Uh, Hispanics have been the most talked about segment for many years, yet for many companies still the hardest to reach, whether it's that we speak Spanish, that we speak English, that we speak Spanglish, um, or that you got the Puerto Rican in New York, the Mexican in LA, the Cuban in Florida. So I always saw my job as to remove the hassle factor because we have so much in common more than, uh, that, than, than is not. So for me, the opportunity to build that brand in a way that was seeing Latinos as we are today and not as past perceptions have expected us to be or behave has been the biggest game changer. And we did a number of things in the organization where we specifically changed the traditional formats. Um, all of us have grown up thinking of Spanish language television as telenovelas and soap operas, which have worked for a long time. But what we realized is that the Latino of today was really looking for formats that were more in common with what their lifestyles in the United States were. So we decided to make uh, original programming and make uh, a lot more programming here in Miami. We like to think of it as uh, television, linear, uh, digital, multi-platform content for U.S. Hispanics, made by U.S. Hispanics. And I think that's been the biggest game changer for us. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, when I think about some of the functions that you were listing off earlier, you were talking about marketing, corporate comms, human resources, you know, all those things intricately linked. And as you're, you're making these shifts, how do you think about comms now? Cause you, you own both internal and external, right? Yeah. I think the the combination for, for me on this is that quite frankly, it's how do you build a narrative and how do you tell the narrative early on? So comms for me has been a way that it was we, we, we do a lot of press conferences, we do a lot of press junkets, but now it's about how do you be real time and how do you make sure that people get their information at any time, any given moment. If you even think about how you consume news, um, you're really looking at it through your Twitter feeds. You're not reading the newspapers anymore as much as, 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 as I, I still do, but I mean, I think the, the majority of people like to get their information in quick bites. So for the comms piece, we had to figure out specifically how do you cut through the clutter um, when there's so much fragmentation of information that is thinking everybody's inboxes. And building a brand that was both memorable and nostalgic in some ways to reignite some of those new consumers, 
has been really important for us. The comps piece for me is, quite frankly, how do you keep the core of our audience, but how to be relevant to that new Latino of today. And I think uh, we're spending a lot more time as an organization building our, our efforts across communicating uh, quickly and in ways that our, both our employees and our audience wants to receive their information in, in any platform and in any language, the language of their preference. Wow. Okay. And just building on this point around communication and especially communications to employees, I mean, there's never been a, a greater need for communication than what we just have been going through in the last few weeks. Um, how's that been with you and your teams? Wow. You know, thanks for asking. I think so much of us, the world has changed. We like to say there's going to be a pre-coronavirus and an after-coronavirus. And what we've realized is that now more than ever, the internal communications has become vital and, quite frankly, a lifeline for so many of our employees. We've seen a tremendous amount of just the fact that people are opening a lot of the internal comms now because they want accurate information more than anything. And employers, in many ways, have now become the most trusted source along with doctors to your employees, whereas before that may have not been the case. So we've seen a real shift in the level of trust that our employees have felt from management, from leadership as a result of COVID-19. Additionally, we've had to be much more empathetic. The world has changed, and it's going to change permanently when we return as well. So everything from how we communicate, so the fact that we now have people of all ages using Teams, Zoom, um, any type of video conferencing that is available, that wasn't happening. Um, I think it's going to change the way people travel and the fact that people now may be doing their meetings across a video conference much more than ever before. But also, we're going to have to have a very unique balance in the fact that while we are now doing things that traditionally we never thought we could do from home, right? And I'm sure every company is experiencing this. We've been forced to do that now. So you've been forced to get comfortable in situations that perhaps you're very uncomfortable before. And we've now had to produce, we have producers working from their homes. We've had to change the way that our anchors and our talents now tell the news. Some of them are doing from home as well. So there's definitely going to be a huge change, not only for our organization in terms of how we continue to run our business, but also for our employee base. And we definitely have to be empathetic. I mean, you have issues of childcare right now. You have issues of the fact that we have to uh, social distance. Our building was set up for, for being mobile, but um, the reality is that we're going to have to create these guidelines in ways that have never existed before. And, um, and you know, I, I think there's a silver lining in it. And I've been so impressed and pleased by what our employees have been able to do under very short notice. And quite frankly, they are delivering beyond what we've ever imagined. So I'm very thankful to all the Telemundo employees and, and quite frankly, all the, the, the companies are going through this. So I'm, I'm sure we've all felt a deference in that sense of empathy for our employees now. So, you know, what's interesting and in, in everything is happening in real time, right? Today is April 7th, 2020. Yesterday, you and I were talking on the phone and mm-hmm. we're going to release this podcast tomorrow. And this is going to be interesting because um, 
I think, and the reason we chose to do this is so many people right now are in this exact moment and needing to hear other good solutions. And one, one of the things you were sharing yesterday that I was really fascinated by was how you looked outside of Miami to other parts of the US and even in Asia to see how people had been coping with this. And you actually prepared for right. this moment. And I thought that was brilliant. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I've always said that when you're a person of color, being an immigrant, um, when you have a different experience, you learn very quickly to be resourceful. And as an organization that is built on immigrants from so many different uh, Latin American countries, uh, especially, we knew very early on that something was happening that was going to change our business. So we began to look outward in terms of some of the cities that were already preparing for it. We looked into organizations in the Silicon Valley where they were having very specific rules about no handshaking um, or how do you treat visitors when they come into the, to their buildings. So we pulled a page out of their, their book and early on we started to notice that they were doing work from home quite frankly, way before anyone in New York or Florida, definitely, were even beginning to do so. So we made the decision early on to do these work-from-home trials. So it really worked in our favor because by the time we were now told to work from home, we had already given a practice run, given our employees one day to work from home and see, you know, whether they need a cable and you started realizing that they had a bandwidth issue, that they didn't have license issues. So we were able to get ahead of the curve a little bit on this and it really helped us as an organization. We also made the early decision to let employees know, you know, this is, we, we find that when you give them a date that potentially they're going to return, it gives them something to focus on. So we started off with two weeks and then now we go every two weeks giving them information. And we were really able to look at our production um, and prepare for production challenges because we did the work from home. And it was hard, trust me, not everybody wanted to do it. I was a little bit ambivalent, but our, our chairman early on made that decision and he said, we're going to do it. And, and I'm very grateful that, that he had that foresight. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, that was key in preparing for this and, and the massive yeah. pivots that you've had to do um, every day since, right? <laughs> so Yeah, and there's uh, just so much we don't know, right? I mean, everything changes on a daily basis. So that's the other part. You really have to keep in tune with what's going on and what the government guidelines and what the medical experts are saying. So, yes, by all means. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, like you said, giving clear expectations or at least something to look forward to. You know, right now you're currently thinking that potentially you might open your Miami office again sometime in May. Is that what you're thinking still? We have told our employees that we would be coming back on May 4th. Uh, we gave them that date because they were asking us whether we were going to align with the local school districts. And again, ha telling them a date gives them some settling. They also want to know if they have their jobs available. So it's important for us to have communicated that. Now, that being said, is we are very clear that if things change and as we continue to monitor the developments, that we will again change the date if necessary. But we have made a commitment uh, to things, to be transparent with them if there is anybody in our building that 
um, is sick and that has uh, tested positive for coronavirus. And secondly, we also told them that we would give them ample time to prepare to come back. Um, and the employees definitely feel that that transparency and that constant communication is helping them cope with the current situation of being at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just so fascinated with this because this, this literally just came up on two other calls this morning, which is what's it going to yeah. be like when we come back? And when you say prepare to come back, what, what are some of the things you're thinking that means? Yeah, I mean, we had a conversation with our teams yesterday. I think first, the reality is that one of the things that is going to definitely change is how we do meetings. Um, And the fact that things that we never thought we could do from working from home, I mean, when would you ever think that you could produce a show and have everybody working from home was impossible. Um, I think one of the key things that is going to change is we will probably start thinking about how do you hear people coming back you know, so maybe you bring 50% of the employees back um, at one time, or maybe you alternate dates and rotate. That may be something that we are seriously considering. Um, the second thing is even how we, uh, how we access our food within the building, our cafeterias, and the fact that those places are very crowded. Um, we have to establish social distancing guidelines. We're probably going to have different types of way to order and pick up your food versus crowding a cafeteria, a crowded space. Um, seating assignments, we have an open space building right now that people can sit wherever they'd like um, and be mobile. We believe that is going to change as well because in an area, for example, that you could sit three, we're going to have to move that to two people and space that out significantly. Um, and the travel piece is going to be something that we're going to definitely reconsider. And I think it's, it's something that really essential travel versus those people that um, travel to do a meeting. So things like that. But I, I have to say, I say all that with the caveat is we still don't know. I mean, we're, we're evaluating everything. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Every company is going to have to do something that's different. Um, for them. And for us, really, our biggest priority is to stay on the air and to deliver information and entertainment to our audience. So we're going to continue figuring out ways how to do that um, and make sure that we don't stop. So really helpful tips for all of us to, to think about. And so thank you for sharing how you're thinking about preparedness. You know, you also mentioned something yesterday that it was a great comment and, and actually somebody said something similar later in the day and I thought of you again and you said, we all have to start thinking about how to make sure that we don't lose the magic from what used to be the water cooler conversations. Um, yeah. What, what did you mean by that? So, you know, there's benefits of working from home and there's also, you don't want to lose, we have to have a balance. And by that, I mean that you have to make sure some of the most creative conversations, some of the most important opportunities, at least in my lifetime, have happened by just bumping into someone while I'm grabbing a cup of coffee. Uh, That water cooler conversation where you're talking about the Emmys the night before or the Oscars the night before. You you strike relationships and you start conversations that may have never happened if you were only working from home. So we're going to have to work very closely to make sure that you don't lose that ability to connect. That social connection still can't be lost because that is where some of the best ideas spark and they come out of. Um, I also believe that it's 
not a good idea to also be in your corner office or in your home and just sit there by yourself and not have any different types of conversations outside of the same workday flow. It's important to keep that creativity alive, and we are going to make sure that we have a balance so that, quite frankly, we don't lose that. So all really good things for us to think about moving forward. And and speaking about moving forward, you have an incredible initiative leveraging the word forward, which is why I thought of this, and it's called Latina's Power Forward. What's that about? Oh, thank you for asking me. This is what I feel is my baby and one of the my favorite parts of my job. We know that Latinas are a very important demographic, and we wanted to make sure that all of our marketers, all of our clients are understanding Latinas uh, the way that we are in the United States today. There's been very, what I like to call, myths about Latinas. And Latinas Time Forward to me is a mythbuster about who the Latina today is. What we did is we, or right before we launched this report, we had launched a company-wide initiative called Unstoppable Women uh, within the organization. And that was really a professional development initiative in Telemundo for women who were trying to grow their professional careers, who maybe wanted advice, wanted mentoring. And as a result, we realized that not only was there a lack of recognition amongst themselves and amongst our clients, but that we wanted to make sure that we actually found data to support it. So we partnered with with someone you you know well, Mika Brzezinski, um, our colleague over at NBC, with her Know Your Value program because we really realized that in order to be, to know your value, you have to be an unstoppable woman as well. And we did the, we partnered with them because we had a shared interest in helping women, whether they're Latina or non-Latinas. And we put together a report called Latinas Powering Forward to share findings and let everybody know how great and fantastic these Latina women are today. We're vibrant. Um, and we're young, we're modern, hardworking, we're proud of our roots, our traditions, and we wanted the world to know about that. Wow. And, and it's amazing. You know, I'm looking at some of the the output from from this report. Uh, do you want to do you want to share a couple of the points that you you made in this particular report? Yeah. So I think that the, there's maybe like four key takeaways as I think about the report. The first really is that Latinas are in their prime. Of the 29 million Latinas in the United States, about 65% are under the age of 40. This is, means that they're growing seven times faster than other women in the United States. So this is a population that it's no longer just about the population size, but it's the fact that if you want to grow your business, you have to pay attention to the Latina woman. Second, Latina women were traditionally have been stereotyped as maybe being subservient, not going to school, that really is changing. They are increasing their higher education um, and they are graduating at higher rates than they've ever graduated before. So these are women that now are owning their space that are going to college and that are getting degrees. Um, Third, I think that Latinas really are leading the growth across so many different industries and categories, Uh, categories such as finances, automobiles, digital devices, um, and beauty. I mean, I think that's always an area where Latinas have definitely continued to grow that business. 
So Latinas really are the ones that are making big purchasing decisions in their home. You know, traditionally, the, when you think about Latino households, you would think that the male is making the decisions in the home, and the data has, has proven different. Uh, they're driving media consumption. But I think the big one for me is that Latinas are the new American mainstream. They are making an impact in American culture, not just Hispanic culture. You don't have to look very far to look at Jennifer Lopez and obviously Shakira, who were the Super Bowl um, halftime show this year, and obviously it was one of the most downloaded ever. Selena Gomez, Sofia Vergara, who have brands that transcend beyond Hispanic markets. So I like to say that they're the new trendsetters and that they are influencing society in every way. And this Latina today is really not just family-focused, but independent at the same time, and I think is really going to be a demographic that can change our media industry, that can change our categories, and that we have to engage not only when um, their minds, but also when their hearts, and that they will be able to help us continue to grow our businesses. Yeah. Fascinating. And, and, and as we dive deeper into the report, you have some really interesting data here as well about the perspective on being civically engaged and Latinas in the military. I could just read it here, but, you know, I think it's really interesting. You made a point that Latinas stand out in the military at 20% of all females in the armed forces. Is that correct? Correct. They definitely stand out. You know, this idea that Latinos are not patriotic and that Latinos in general are not patriotic makes no sense to me. Um, when you see 20% of Latinas across all military, and especially in the Marines and the Army, which are considered some of the hardest in the military, the Latinas are making sure that they are representing their country. And when you think about the elections coming up, this is a group that is going to go to the polls. Um, while we still have to increase the civic engagement numbers for Latinos as a whole, Latinas actually go to the polls in higher numbers than their male counterparts as well. And the other thing I think you need to think about as this new segment, uh, 50,000 Latinos turn 18 every month. And of those, half of those tend to be Latinas. This is a group that hasn't really had a party affiliation because they're voting for the first time. So they're winnable, right? And they're not necessarily gonna vote the way traditional voters have voted. They believe themselves to be independent and they wanna vote for a candidate that is going to represent their views and not just that they're blindly loyal to a party or not. And obviously you have the census coming up, which the census is happening now. And if you haven't done your census form, please, please, please send, send it out. Latinas really are leading that effort for the households because we want to make sure that they are, um, we want to make sure that they're counting in the census, but at the same time that they are making sure that they're telling their friends about it and that they're encouraging other Latinas to fill out the census forms as well. So they're absolutely critical to, to our country. The way that I, I like to talk about Latinos is it, we, we are 200 percenters. Um, there's this cultural bothness about it. And 200 percenters is a, is a term that Telemundo coined early on because we believe that we are 100% American and we are 100% Latina. Uh, we live and breathe in the middle of two cultures and we seamlessly transcend without even thinking about it whether it be language, 
whether it be foods, whether it be culture, uh, we believe that we are 100% of both. And we love to be called both because we, we are loyal to the United States and we are very proud of our roots. Wow. Amazing. I, I love everything you just said. I think about 200% as the sum of those 200%. And then I look at the next line about pay inequality. And oh. let's talk about 54% <laughs> yes, or 54 cents on every dollar. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, that's something that continues to be an issue, not only for Latinas, but for all women. The fact that uh, non-Hispanic white women make 79 cents for every dollar that a white male makes. For Latinas, despite the fact that they are going to school more, they are making 53 cents for every dollar that a white male makes. That is something we obviously don't want to see and we want to continue to change. But it's a reality. And, and people often ask me, you know, what, why do you think that is? And um, we can have a whole different topic conversation about the gender gap as a whole. But I think specifically with Latinas, what's happening is we don't know the rules of the game early on. Um, and what happens is you end, you, we're beginning to enter into the workforce. We're beginning to gain higher positions of power, higher positions of influence, if you will. But we haven't really ever practiced the rules of the game as our male counterparts do. So part of the reason for this report is to be able to help Latino women understand the rules of the game early on. And I like to say the things that nobody, that I wish somebody would have told me. And I feel it's my responsibility to make sure that I am sharing this wealth of information to any other Latinas I come across. You know, I, I have this thing that I've always said, if I have a corner office, it's my responsibility to throw a rope and bring another Latina back in. And, um, and I don't apologize for that. I, I feel very strongly about that. Oh, and I applaud your efforts, you know, uh, so much because, you know, we, we spend a lot of time at Adweek talking about uh, diversity and inclusion and how we can help. And one of the things that we did was we launched an, an Adweek executive mentor program last year. We're about ready to launch it again next week for round two. And I discovered something in the process that I was completely just dumbfounded by it. I couldn't figure it out. So I called a whole bunch of people and I said, what's happening here? And I'd love to get your take on it. Um, and that was, despite all of the available mentors, we had a really, I would say, slow start with Latinas mm -hmm. requesting a mentor. And I, I, I couldn't understand it. And the feedback I got was, culturally, there's, there's just not enough um, examples of where they can actually ask for help and get it. Um, and you have to kind of really help get them over that line to ask for help so that you can help. Um, what, how, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, I hear you and it breaks my heart because I so wish I think of myself back when I was younger and getting started. The, the ability to ask for help, it's, I didn't even know how. Um, I didn't even know I, it was okay to ask for help or to ask somebody to be a mentor. The other thing that I noticed is that a lot of people are like, I'll get a lot of young women that will, um, will say, hey, you know, I really want your advice or I really want your help. And I've made a decision that everybody who asks me, I always say, yes, you know what, you always have 20 minutes, 30 minutes of your time. And if not, just make it. But what is happening, and I see this happen a lot, is that 
they will request a meeting with me and they don't understand that it's their responsibility to follow up and keep that mentorship going. They rely on me or that mentor to keep the relationship going where a mentorship has to really be the onus on the mentee because you and everybody else um, in my role really has 10, 20 things to do on a daily basis. So we want to make sure that we help empower these women to feel that it's okay to call me. It's okay to call me back. It's okay to keep the relationship going. And the second piece is just it has to be in a way that's organic and that they continue to ask the questions. I think a lot of times they don't know how to ask for the advice, and that's been something that I've seen happen quite a bit. Culturally, um, again, there's, there's very few um, Latinas. That's changing, and I have amazing colleagues throughout the organization that are doing great things, but we have to tell them the things that nobody ever told them. We have to tell them that, guess what, sometimes if they tell you no for a pay raise, Maybe the no just means not yet. Mm. We also have to tell them that if they're sitting in the corner having lunch by themselves and not asking questions and not socializing with other people, that you know what, why would they be promoted if they're in the corner by themselves? We have to teach them that it's okay to say no. We have to teach them that um, where, how, how to sit in a boardroom. We have to bring them into a boardroom so that they even know what happens in a boardroom. And the other piece that I really encourage a lot is they have to know the finances and understand how an organization works financially. Because there is something that happens to a young woman when they are able to understand and explain the finances. And I really encourage every young Latina woman to truly understand how our business works. And for us, it's revenue and ratings. And if you don't understand revenue ratings, you may be overlooked. Mm. Wow. Such great advice. Uh, I could talk to you about this all day. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, we should do. We should partner on the program, by the way. Oh, yes, we should. That would be amazing because uh, I, I, we could just make this even so much more impactful together. So um, thank you for sharing. You know, before we get... Um, we are almost out of time here. I, I want to I get some more good nuggets from you because you, you've had so much experience in growing your own career. What are a couple of tips you would give folks as they're thinking about managing and growing their career? You know, now working in the HR role, I've had a chance to really look not only what I traditionally thought were important characteristics, but truly what leaders across organizations look for and when, when they are hiring or when they are talking to young professionals. And, and I think one is you always want to see a sense of curiosity from the person. Um, I am fascinated by somebody that is curious, someone that has more ideas, even if they're not the best ones. A lot of times it's, they have ideas that may be not actionable, but their ideas and at least that curiosity of the person that asks questions is something very important. So I wish that I would have been much more curious growing up. Um, I applied it later in my career. So I would really encourage that any, anybody who wants to grow their, their career to demonstrate curiosity. Um, the second thing that I would say is listen more than you talk. Um, I always like to say, are you the person that brightens up a room when you walk in or are you a person that brightens up a room when you walk out? 
And by that, it's truly understanding how you're perceived. These are some of the hardest conversations that you have to have with people. But knowing how you're perceived in an organization can truly help you grow your career and help you define the type of professional that you want to be. I'm not saying that knowing how you perceive means that you have to change the way you are. It just means that you have to be very self-aware. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, I would rather get a person that knows one thing very well than three than does three things very bad. Um, because you want a level of consistency and professionalism from the people that you hire and you want to be an expert in something and know other things well, but you don't want to do them badly. And I've also seen a lot of people not really own a specific space, so that becomes a challenge. And in general, you know, you want to be an athlete. I think you want to hire athletes around the organization, um, somebody that you can shift, someone that you can put in any scenario at any given moment and know that they are going to do right by the company. And, I mean, I think the last thing I'd say is just something that my, my dad always told me. He, he, well, two, actually two things. One, I learned the importance of being authentic probably later in my career. And my new favorite line is that I want to be adamantly authentic and audaciously assured. And what do I mean by that? I have to be myself in every scenario that I can because when I am myself, I am my best self. And that ability to be authentic has benefited me in my career. Um, when I say adamantly authentic and audaciously assured, I also mean you have to dare to be confident. And that is hard. That is not something that comes naturally and that is innately makes you uncomfortable. Um, and lastly, I think it's a nugget that I've always, I always learned from my papa. And he always said, you know, work hard, do your work diligently, and sign your name proudly. And I really believe I stand by that motto. Oh wow! Okay, I, you 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 literally got me on that last line. I I I almost like started crying because uh, that that means so much to me to hear you say that. My you know sign your name proudly. Uh, wow. Mm -hmm. um, there's something to that, right? I, there I never, is. I yeah. There's something to that, and uh, you know, God bless my papa in heaven now. But I've taken that with me for the last, um, especially the last years of my, my career. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting because sometimes, uh, you know, as we go through these podcasts, like natural headlines form, right. And, and we tease that out in some of the podcasts in yours, I had like three or four competing until you got to adamantly authentic <laughs> and audaciously assured. And now I'm just, uh, yeah, sign your name proudly. Might've just won. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay, that, that says it all. It says so much in just a few short words. Um, but unfortunately, oh my gosh, we're going to have to do round two because we're out of time today. Um, but I cannot thank you enough for being with me today. You've given us so much to think about and so much guidance. Um, and I can't let you go, though, with one, uh, without my final question. Um, and so here goes. If you were not doing what you were doing today and money and talent were of no object, you have all of that in spades, what would you be doing? I would be, 
Um, you know what? I actually would be a professor of history. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I think there's, I love oral history and I love the ability to tell stories and to narrate your future. I believe futures are so I believe teachers are so bright they can be blinding, right? And if I had the ability to truly teach history the way that um, that doesn't exclude many different communities, I'd be very happy. And I love history. So, yeah, I, I, I know it's, it's probably not the sexiest thing on the planet, but, um, yeah, I, I would be a, a history teacher. No, I love that. You know, or, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I would say, or a singer, but I'm not sure how good my singing is. <laughs> you can combine those two things. You could be the singing history professor. You do everything in tune. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 that would be <laughs> Well, you know, it, it is a great answer. I will tell you that it's amazing how common the theme of becoming a teacher or a professor or a coach comes out of our marketing community because that is kind of what we do, right? Um, in lots of different ways. And it's, it's the craft. And so I'm glad to hear you say that. And I think that's actually very needed. So uh, I support you. When you decide to go launch that new path, uh, you let us know, we'll help you with whatever you need. How about that? That sounds great. I love it. And thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to everybody, all of us working together and getting through this coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you stay safe. And uh, until next time. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.